welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and I'm joined by my colleague, Jay Shabat, to discuss United's large Boeing order and Delta's financial outlook. Enjoy. Hey, Jay, how are you doing this week? Hi, Ned. How are you? Ah, doing well. It's uh, It's been a busy week. We've got a lot of news, here, especially here in the U.S. Yeah, it's the uh, final week uh, of the year for Airline Weekly is our last issue of the year. And uh, it will uh, certainly be filled. Um, there's there's no shortage of things to write about. That's for sure. In this just this week alone, we've had a mega order from United. We've had Delta Investor Day. It's uh, and those two, if <laughs> those two alone make a full week, and, and there's still more to come. Yeah, we're getting a lot of a lot of news from the U.S. Uh, I say news, and also just investor updates and whatnot. We had the Southwest uh, Investor event the week prior and as you mentioned uh, the big united order and uh this this delta event so yeah quite quite a lot going on in the u.s specifically for sure so let's start with united so united placed a significant order for 200 firm boeing aircraft that's 177 and 10737 maxes and then also options for another 10 or sorry another 100 787s now the the first hundred uh, Dreamliners that they ordered are going to be replacement, replacing their 54 767s, as well as some of their older 777s. But uh, it was definitely a big week for both United and Boeing. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, and Boeing has had a rough time uh, on many fronts, uh, to say the least, over the last two or three years. And uh, it's uh, very welcome news for them to get a nice big order from United. Uh, United, um, as you mentioned, there are a lot of these these Dreamliners that they're ordering are going to be for replacement. Um, and it'll be interesting to see. They do have some flexibility, I believe, in in what variants. Uh, you know, 787 comes in a couple of different variants. There's the, the, uh, the Dash 8, which is not too terribly popular, but there's there's the, the 9 and the 10. And uh, we'll see which how many of each they'll wind up taking over the course of the next. Uh, I think this order goes out for about ten years, so they have uh, you know quite quite a bit of time to decide and you know whether or not how many they want how many of those options they want to exercise. Uh, but United, I'll just say this about United's um, thinking right now, subject to change, of course, over the you know course of this very uh, extended uh, or aircraft order, but. For the past couple of years, really since the start of the pandemic, United has this uh, sense that the intercontinental market is kind of ripe for being very profitable over the next few years because so much capacity has been taken out, especially by foreign airlines, that they think they can, you know, come in there and establish, um, you know, kind of take market leadership in a lot of a lot of these places and uh, a lot of these kind of long haul routes. And they won't have as much. I mean, if you think back to pre-pandemic, just the transatlantic alone, you'd have you know Norwegian flying all these routes, and you know there's a lot more A380s on routes, and uh, you know for a time they're even still 747s. And so, so there's I mean I guess most of those were on Asia, but but in any case, it was just a lot. It, it was more competitive, and their United's thesis is that in a way the inter- intercontinental market is going to look in some ways like the domestic US market, how that evolved over the course of the past few decades, where, you know, if you go back to the late 90s and early 2000s, the US domestic market was just viciously competitive um, with, you know, just probably too many airlines chasing 
uh, you know, too few passengers. Um, and then it just became very consolidated, more rational. United kind of sees that happening in the international space. So it feels confident enough to make this bullish aircraft order. Absolutely. You know, that, that reminds me of, of Scott Kirby's latest tag phrase, which is uh, United is the new U.S. flag carrier. Of course, they are not officially the flag carrier, though they can they can claim that. But that you know, really it, it they're building on their strengths. They were the largest U.S. international carrier before the pandemic. And this order sets them up to keep expanding that. And we've already seen them doing that over in 2022 and in 2023, simply because they have more wide body planes. And this was a decision that I know I, I was critical of during the pandemic. You know, they decided not to retire anything. And, and now they're really able to use that to expand in a market where other players are forced to be smaller or more rational just because they don't have the aircraft. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and it's it's kind of interesting that, uh, you know, in the narrow body, we can, <laughs> that's a whole separate discussion, United's narrow body strategy, which is in some ways, even more interesting than the long haul strategy, but wide body strategy. But uh, it is somewhat interesting that United on the narrow body front has sort of this philosophy that bigger is better, whereas on the long haul wide body front, the philosophy is kind of the opposite, that smaller is better. So 787 is a relatively small aircraft, um, you know, roughly 767 in size. Um, they'll use those to replace some smaller 77s as well. But if you noticed... Uh, you know, really, they, they they had those 747s. They got retired. They very uh, kind of late in the game, they went out and ordered some of those 300ER 777s, which, which are pretty big. They're, they're very big. But they only have, I think, 20, 20 of those roughly. And uh, they're new, so they won't be needing, you know, you don't really need to replace them for a long time. But uh, it's notice how they haven't gone out and bought, you know, let's say A350-1000s. They do actually have A350s on order. Um, this kind of yes. a, I don't know forty five dash nine hundreds that are have been postponed to twenty thirty and fun fact our, our listeners may remember is these planes were ordered by pre merger United in I want to say two thousand nine and wow. they were due to arrive in the mid twenty ten so this is uh it's they're they're quite delayed at this point <laughs> will they ever arrive <laughs> that you is the that is the question will they ever <laughs> arrive <laughs> and and you can see those perhaps replacing the may, may perhaps even the a350 1000 which is a bigger aircraft which would you know be good on uh some of these you know real dense routes to asia for example if they let's say you know china comes back or you know some of those are but uh that's um yeah it remains to be seen i don't think they have to make a decision on that soon but they do any anytime, you know, in the near near future. But it is possible they may wind up placing another order for, you know, very big aircraft. Now, now another, you know, Boeing, I'm sure, is would <laughs> they would love to sell United those new triple sevens that they have those, you know, those triple seven X's. Um, but uh I don't know that uh, like I said, I think United has the philosophy that on the wide body side, you know, smaller is better. And uh I yeah, I would really and also you know united it's you know their cargo uh the cargo business is sizable but it's not you know when you're thinking think about like united's partner lufthansa where cargo becomes a much bigger part of the equation and they can justify maybe an aircraft like the triple seven x united i have a hard time seeing that they'll they'll order that but yeah maybe a351000 I mean, might work for them i don't know yeah, Jay, I I, I kind of disagree on that. Well, clearly United wants to have a small, you know, they're they're betting that the future is going to be lots of wide, you know, smaller wide bodies. And when I say small, you know, the two hundred to three hundred seat segment. 
But I think they also, I mean, they, they know that they're going to need some big planes at some point. Hence, they bought those 777-300ERs to replace the 747s. But it would be, I'd have to say, quite a loss for Boeing if they cannot get United to buy the 777X at some point. Now, we've, we've written about in Airline Weekly how much, you know, the, the 777X's uh, deficits. It's a heavier plane than the A350 or 787 simply because it's an older model. You know, it, it's got a lot of drawbacks, but as uh, I've heard from many people before, it has such a large installed base, of which United is one of the largest 777 operators in the world. It would make a lot of sense for United to pick up 777Xs at some point in the future. Now, clearly, they don't need to do that soon. Those 300 ERs are only not even 10 years old yet, so they've got some good life in them. But Airbus definitely has a strong proposition with the A350-1000, and they've won a good number of orders for that plane that have not gone to Boeing. Uh, so it's that that is but that is a decision that we probably won't know anything about for five or five plus years. So we don't need to hold our breath or anything. Right. There's, there's just there's no pressure on United to make that decision anytime real soon. Uh, but and yeah, I mean, you, your points are valid. They, that 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 aircraft, the, the large, the big, you know, the big triple seven that Boeing is trying to sell may may ultimately uh May ultimately be something that United wants. Um, that's that's definitely uh, yeah. It's not not out of the realm of possibility for by any means. For sure. All right, Jay. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back to talk Delta. Hey, Jay. After after United's big news, uh, tell us a little bit about what Delta had to say last this week. Yeah, so Delta had a big, um, it wasn't quite an investor day event. They're going to do one of those in, in June. Uh, but this was just, uh, they gathered investors to uh, talk about um, their, their you know, what to, what to expect financially for, uh, for for this quarter, first of all. And then, you know, the next one or two years going forward. Um, and then a little bit behind, you know, how, they, how they're going to get there. Because they gave, they gave rather, you know, rosy forecasts for 20, 2023 and 2024. Um, they kind of justified it with a with a few interesting um, arguments, which which you know seem they seem valid. Uh, I'll start with um, just giving you some of the numbers that they gave, just so you have a frame of reference. Now, I want to start by saying that in 2019, Delta had a 14% operating margin, and that was the best operating margin in the world among any airline that flies intercontinentally or with a substantial intercontinental. I think of a global airline. So I'm not counting here, you know, the Allegiance of the world or the Copa airlines, you know, which are primarily narrow body. But I'm talking right. about, you know, carry, among carriers with global networks, Delta was the most profitable in the world, 14%. So they're going to try to get back to that. Um, so as of right now, for this quarter, October to December, they're forecasting an 11% margin. And that compares to 12% in the fourth quarter of 2019. So you can see they're they're almost back to where they were. Now, in uh for all of next year, they expect something between 10 and 12%. So remember I said 2019 was 14. Now they're saying 10 to 12. So we're getting, you know, we're getting pretty close to uh back to where they were in 2019. And as I said, they were the best airline in the world. Um, and then they say in 2024, and this gets, you know, this starts to get a little speculative once you get that far out, but they say 13 to 15%. So kind of kind of back to where they were. 
So that's the context. That's just some you know numbers to keep in the back of your head of where, where they're thinking. Um, so how are they going to get there? So management laid out a lot of uh, you know the, just their strategies, their tactics, different arguments of why you know why they expect to uh, to to be able to hit these numbers. Um, for the purpose of this podcast here, I just pulled out three kind of strengths that they see as really carrying them, come carrying them, you know, to, to these sort of very lofty margin targets. So one is they talk a lot about, about the partnerships they have. And that includes, you know, the airline partnerships. They, you know, Air France KLM joint venture, which is kind of the gold standard for, for joint ventures. Uh, that will serve them well. Uh, you know, they have joint ventures with with a, this new one with LATAM in South America. They're very bullish on Aeromexico, Virgin Atlantic. Uh, Korean Air is an interesting one because Korean Air is now merging with Asiana. So they're becoming two airlines are becoming one. And Delta is right there in Seoul. Seoul is a great hub for, for serving Asia. Right. Uh, and then when we're talking about partnerships, we're also talking about their American Express partnership, which is also kind of the gold standard for, you know, co-branded credit card relationships. And that relationship goes very deep and it's very lucrative for Delta. So that's number one. To the tune of $7 billion in 2024 (laughs) based on their estimates. Yeah, that's uh, that's nothing to uh, (laughs) nothing to ignore there. That's that's very, 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 very valuable to both both companies. Um, And then number two, uh, (laughs) they're going to grow. Um, their, their growth strategy uh, geographically is going to be a little bit different. So different now than, than it was this past year. So this past year, they grew a lot in what they call sort of their coastal hubs, Los Angeles, New York, Seattle, and their margins are just not that great in those places. They grew there to establish a presence. They want to be big and stronger there in the future. So they put a lot of capacity there, but at the cost of their margins. Now they say, Going forward, they're going to be throwing much larger percentage of their growth into what I call bastions, bastions. <laughs> the big, the big, sorry, <laughs> the um, you know, the, the they're the real like hardcore Delta markets. That's, that's Atlanta, Detroit, Minneapolis. You got it. You got much. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you got it. And they said half of about half of of the growth is going to be in just Atlanta, and Atlanta is. You know, bar none, it's the most profitable hub in the world. You know, greatest hub on earth. Uh, it's just, it's a machine. It's it's the largest hub in the United States. So uh, that that's one. That's that's number two on on my list here of of, of some of the reasons that they gave why they're going to be, you know, in in good shape next year. They're going to grow a lot in these very high margin airports, high margin hubs. And then the the third that I just kind of that I'm just going to call out here is that you know Delta before the pandemic they kind of made a big bet on premium products they invest a lot in uh yeah just just um outfitting their planes with a larger percentage of seats that are dedicated to premium cabins whether it be you know their business class their you know premium economy and they're they're winning that bet i mean premium has just been very very strong even you know in some of the darkest days of the pandemic premium has kind of held up relatively well and it's coming out of the pandemic very very strong premium leisure is doing very well uh, corporate, even if it's not back in volume terms and revenue terms, it's very good. They also say that there's these, you know, categories of companies like these consultancies, professional services, lawyers, and uh, accountants, that sort of thing that they haven't really been traveling much yet. They're going to get back on the road. So, so there you go. I mean, three three reasons to be bullish about Delta. Absolutely. So. You know, you you gave a great all the highlights from Investor Day. I'd say you know, unpick if you know, 
unpacking that just a little bit, you know, on the, the first class thing, the first class arguments. And it's it's funny to me because uh, Glenn Howenstein said Delta is a first class airline, uh, basically referring to the Delta's decision to get out of the 50 seat regional jet business by summer, which is historically very significant. Delta was the airline that first introduced 50 seat regional jets in the U.S. in the early 90s. But I kind of laugh at it because I would have already called Delta a premium airline and, and I've heard Delta call themselves a premium airline for years. So <laughs> whether or not they had several 50 seat regional jets or not around. So it's kind of funny to hear that. But like you said, they're making some big investments and they will have two classes on all of their aircraft with the asterisk being anything that's at risk flying. So like SkyWest essential air service routes to Iron Mountain, Michigan, Wisconsin, you know, that's still <laughs> going to be on a CRJ 200, but technically not under on a Delta branded plane. We're splitting hairs here. So it's interesting to hear that. The other thing that jumps out at me, and we spoke a little bit about this, Jay, is Delta's profit targets are based on earnings per share. Now, I have no doubt that profits will rise in 2023, given the current outlook and everything we're seeing from the industry. But I, I do not like the earnings per share um, metric simply because it can be manipulated if Delta resumes share buybacks. And we know that the U.S. CARES Act rules that barred share buybacks and dividends sunsetted in September. So Delta could do that in 2023, which would then essentially boost their earnings per share. They could hit their metric without necessarily growing their profit, doubling their profits, as they say. So those were kind of the two things that jumped out at me. Yeah, yeah. On the on the, on the latter point, I, I think um, you know the the per share figure that's that is significant for investors. I mean, if Delta does decide to buy back their stock and there's less stock out there, and you hold that stock, then you know that 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 stock that you hold becomes more valuable. So as an yes. investor, that's. Uh, you know that's meaningful. Uh, oh, absolutely! Is, it's know, definitely yeah. meaningful for investors. I completely agree. It's but but I think your I, point I, is yeah. I'm sorry. Nate, go ahead. No, I, I hesitate at the idea that profits are going to double or nearly double because it seems like that is a stretch from because we don't know exactly what Delta is going to do with their shares next. Year. Oh no 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 yeah no 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 that, that's yeah it's it's not when you're looking at per share that that's not a good measurement of. Uh, you know, gauging the success of the airline. No, so that that their their absolute profits, they're not saying theirs are going to double. I, I mean, I gave you the, the at the beginning of this podcast or this section, I gave you the uh, the margins, right? The margin targets. Um, so th those are yeah to to gauge the um the outlook of for for the company's performance. Those are yeah better measures than uh, looking at per share. Yeah, that's more yeah. If you if you're you're an investor, you own stock. If you're you're on Wall Street and your job is to sell the stock, or um, then yeah, that's that's uh, that becomes more meaningful. Absolutely, and earnings per share is very important. But in terms of measuring the airline's financial success, it's it's not the best. Yeah, but... no, it's not something we ever like. Yeah, we here at Airline Weekly, we ever really yeah try to gauge or measure or anything like that. Yeah. Right. But yeah, the outlook is good. Like you said, I mean, Delta sees no slowdown in demand. There was uh, some questions uh, because Alaska and JetBlue both reported some um, small, uh, you know, decrease in bookings or corporate demand in investor updates earlier this week. But Delta said they're seeing none of that. And frankly, you know, Alaska is overwhelmingly reliant on the U.S. West Coast tech sector, which Howenstein, like you said, he skipped that completely and said they're expecting come back in consulting financial services 
businesses that Delta Alaska is probably less reliant on. And then JetBlue's commentary was, you know, they are seeing fewer close-in bookings in December as expect than expected, but JetBlue relies far less on corporate travelers and Delta and um, other airlines out there. So it's really hard. It, it's, it clearly doesn't, what those two smaller airlines are saying does not translate over to what Delta is seeing. And they, they are expecting a strong demand, uh, strong travel demand into the new year. Totally. And, and what they said, they sort of brushed off the December quote unquote weakness or softness. They said, look, January is going to be better than December. February is going to be better than January. And March is going to be better than February. So they, uh, you know, it's the outlook for the first quarter is still very, very bullish. I mean, the bookings uh, it's a little bit too early to maybe maybe talk about March, but uh, but as they look ahead at their advanced bookings, things are still looking very, very good. Absolutely. Well, Jay, that uh, brings us to the end of another Airline Weekly Lounge. We will bring one more uh, addition to you next week before we break for the Christmas and New Year holidays. So want to wish uh, so look forward to that and uh, good luck everyone in your in the race to the holiday season happy holidays everybody thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the airline weekly lounge podcast check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week <laughs>